0: Welcome to Pop Psych 101,
1: where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad
0: and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts,
1: break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape.
0: We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy.
1: This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here, as always, with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts.
0: Hello, hello.
1: And Haley, I feel the need to introduce this episode as like a very special episode of Pop Psych (laughs) 101 because we're, we're talking about the kind of show that deals with very special, very intense subjects just all the time.
0: Yes, constantly.
1: Constantly, nonstop. Um, And that is the current, uh, apparently very popular show, Euphoria from HBO. So um, in particular, we're going to be focusing on um, season two, episode six, called A Thousand Little Trees of Blood. We're going to be focusing on that specific episode as our sort of like window into this series. Um, But before we get into all that, watching even just a little bit of euphoria brought me back to like what were the crazy teen Uh shows or movies that you or i would have watched and obviously they were nothing like this maybe some things were were like this but
0: Uh fast differences
1: you know in watching this like what comes to your mind like what was your euphoria if there was anything that got that close
0: Totally. Um, I think the two that came to mind was one that I was actively invested in, and then one that I was sort of half invested in. The one that I was actively invested in was Degrassi. Um, and the reason why it feels very similar is it's was one of the first shows that like talked about really hard-hitting teen topics like Cutting and suicide and school shootings and things like that. Yeah. That yep. what I really liked about it was the actors were teenagers. Like they had age specific um, actors. Age appropriate. Which, yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it made it very real, which I liked. But then also what was really nice about it was while they had all these like really high level topics, they also kind of really just had a lot of stupid teen drama as well and (laughs) approached both with like equal distress as teenagers experience it. And then the other one that I was less invested in that came to mind was the OC. Um, I think I only got invested in that like in later seasons, but I, remember it kind of being like the show that people were talking about at school and Mm. um kind of like the high drama kind of stuff
1: the show that everyone's talking about
0: yeah how about you
1: and i didn't really watch shows like this you know i was much sooner gonna watch uh comedy something a little bit lighter um i've always been i've always trended more towards like um like if i was going to watch a tv show it was going to be something like silly or escapist um Mm -hmm. not necessarily something dark and brooding or if it Mm -hmm. was going to be dark and brooding it was going to be something like completely out of the realm of reality like lost and stuff like that Uh but if i did uh if i did approach what was going to be real? Um, and it's funny because we didn't talk about this example, but this is the one that just popped in my head, which was Freaks and Geeks, which was only yeah. one season.
0: I loved Freaks and Geeks,
1: but that was kind of my thing that would have been closest to this because it was kind of like what you're talking about, like a little bit lighter, definitely meant to be a comedy in many yeah. ways, first, yeah, um, with just you know, some cast. of that teen drama. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, some of that teen drama then sort of looped in, mm-hmm. um, you know, along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I was thinking through some of the other examples and like there was definitely periods where I would catch episodes of Dawson's Creek and, you know, things like that, um, you know, uh, earlier on in the history of Pops Like 101, we watched 13 Reasons Why, which is another mm-hmm. show that sort of felt a little bit like this. yeah. So it feels like there have always been kind of examples of of these types of shows, and
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I could, I guess, I could take it or leave it. But the fact that it is so popular right now, I felt like it was was good enough reason for us to kind of try to figure that out.
0: Yeah, and it's been right? requested enough.
1: It certainly has, and now, yeah, uh, they just actually finished the the season two uh, season finale was just uh, this past week. Um, when we're recording this so so who knows maybe after covering it we'll be compelled to really get the full uh history of the story or we'll just kind of jump in as as requested (laughs) not
0: to give any spoilers but I can almost certainly promise you that that will not be happening for me
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, maybe maybe we can uh, we can find something redeemable about this for Haley as we're talking about it. Excellent. And uh, and yeah, we will do that right after this break. Hey, everyone. Ryan here. No ad this week, but a quick request. We would love to know where you follow us. So if you wouldn't mind taking 10 seconds while you're listening to today's episode, reach out to us on your social media of choice. Say hi. Say what's up. Request an episode topic. We would love to hear from you. And now back to the episode. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners.
0: We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound.
1: So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Euphoria is an American teen drama television series created and written by Sam Levinson for HBO. And in today's episode, we will be talking about Season 2, Episode 6, A Thousand Little Trees of Blood. Um, It is the 16th episode of the series overall and was released on February 13th, 2022. So to be clear, we are only talking about season two episode six this episode we know that things happened before this and happened after this and the rest of the season and that the way in which we talk about this episode uh might not fully reflect those things but we hope you will forgive us and come along for the ride with us anyway because there's no way to talk about a whole tv series in one podcast episode
0: that we haven't seen
1: that we haven't seen all the whole entire series of yeah. right,
2: um,
1: <laughs> yeah. and as a as a last disclaimer, you know, uh, Euphoria is packed with um, really intense, potentially triggering uh, topics, um, including addiction and uh, uh, abuse and all sorts of very intense things. So, if this is if these topics are problematic uh, or uncomfortable for you, feel free to skip this episode. Um, so, with that, Haley, we we dove into this series which has been highly requested because it is so popular and apparently I was I was reading uh, sort of about the series in general this is the most seen episode
0: okay well we apparently. I, yeah we were requested to do this series and neither of us have seen it before and so we posted a you know a little snippet online that said hey which episode should we do and Far and above, this was the one that was suggested the most. So we were like, okay, well, apparently this is the one.
1: And we jumped in, you know, with a, a, a you know, if, if you didn't know what was going on, you immediately got a very clear idea of, of Zendaya's character, Rue, and the yeah. very intense situation that she was in. And we have yeah. to give her credit. It was immediately clear what was going on for her. Yeah,
0: immediately, <laughs> right? Yeah, she's yes. a fantastic actress, that Zendaya.
1: She sure is. So we we are brought into the series with her in full withdrawal uh, because, and this is, again, my, my understanding, um, previous episode her mom had gotten rid of all her drugs. So she was sort of forced into this withdrawal situation. Okay. And watching her at that kitchen table staring at the the jolly rancher was i mean wow but like a really intense example of like the debilitating nature of withdrawal Mm -hmm. and we're not going to spend too much time talking about addiction because it's something we've talked about um before but you know being that that's where the episode opens up yeah and then over the course of the episode you know rue sort of gradually recovers but but man, I think we, we have to acknowledge that, you know, for for anyone, this is a painful process physically, mentally, emotionally, much yeah. less for for Rue, who's uh, a high school girl, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and the the hardest part about withdrawal, well, not the hardest part, but, you know, the thing about withdrawal is it isn't just like, oh, this is tough because I want it. It's your body physically revolts against not having whatever substance it is that it's used to having. And so it attack basically attacks you from the inside and it tries to clean your body out and get you back to kind of starting point. And that's hard, right? Like at one point her Sponsor comes in and goes like, no, you are absolutely gross right now because you're going through withdrawals. And that's, again, I love when humor is used and he did that, which was yeah. great. And I think it's incredibly mm-hmm. accurate. Like in withdrawals, there is a physical, biological reaction. And and Zendaya definitely presented the heaving and the spitting and the snotting of all of that.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I have to say, you know, watching Rue's mom, um, and obviously her mom had been with her through a lot of this stuff at this point. It it probably wasn't as, as shocking as, uh, for, for me, someone who was watching this basically for the first time, it was Mm -hmm. clear that, that Rue's mom was not really all that, uh, all that shocked by what Rue was going through. Um, but for her to be able to just kind of sit with her through that, you know, help her shower, help her do all these things. Wow. I mean, you have to have to give her some credit for for not turning that into, you know, I told you so or into uh, uh, anger or into um, anything else that those moments could have brought out and seeing your your oldest daughter suffer like that.
0: Yeah, definitely. Great mom moments there. And a lot of pain within that.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, for us coming in knowing that Rue is going through this, you know, one of the the first sort of as Ro, as Rue is sort of starting to recover, one of the first things she does is reaches out to her sponsor um, Ali, and um, you know wants to uh, seemingly apologize. You know, she uh, my I understand that she said some pretty hurtful things um, before relapsing in a previous episode and Ali is just sort of very accepting doesn't Mm -hmm. you know it's similar to to Rue's mom doesn't make a huge deal out of it in fact comes over and cooks dinner for the family Mm -hmm. so and I know we've talked about sponsor relationships um on the show before but I'm wondering you know because we know uh and I know a little bit about sort of Rue's history in the sense that her dad did pass away
0: Mm -hmm. right that was mentioned
2: yeah
1: yeah, so for Ali to be her sponsor and to be able to kind of give her that um that comfort and not only her frankly but the whole family is really fascinating and not something that I mean it's not very common for a sponsor to go to this level of of support. I mean it's, you know, it happens, but I think Ru is is it okay to say Rue's pretty lucky to to kind of have the support that she does in her life?
0: Yeah, I think the times that we've talked about sponsors in shows, we've always kind of said like, well, they don't usually get to this level of, of support or engagement. And so I'm wondering if this is like Hollywood's representation of right. a sponsor, right? Like, oh, it's more than just someone you check in with and Mm -hmm. um, i kind of get what you were suggesting which was that um rue lost her father and here she has a older male figure who is offering her the support and guidance that is missing um, from a, a father figure, and that wasn't something that I picked up on when I was watching it. But you know, as you mentioned it, like the coming over and making uh, dinner with the family, and seeing if Jules needs support and offering little nuggets of advice to Rue's mom, definitely illustrates kind of like playing a father figure-ish role in in Rue's life.
1: Yeah and just sort of immediately what felt like to me offers a, a stabilizing um you know not that not that yeah. any family has to have a father figure, but clearly what's what rue needs in a sponsor is you know what in therapy we might call like, you know, universal positive regard or mm-hmm. unconditional positive regard where mm-hmm. it's like, I'm going to be here, whether you want to get clean or not. And even in the end of the the episode where he's talking to the family and, and Rue's sister, I think very appropriately is like, I, I don't know, am I supposed to have hope that she's, that this is real, mm-hmm. that this she's really going to get clean. Um, And I think he's pretty real back to her, right? Like Mm -hmm. the mom is like, well, we have to have hope and we have to believe her and have faith in her. And I think Ali, very appropriate, is like, you know, it's okay to not believe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And I think that 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 sort of realism is so important, not just for Rue, but for the family as well, that it's like whatever we're feeling about what Rue is going through is, is appropriate and needs to be given a voice because we can't tiptoe around this stuff and just kind of secretly hope she's going to figure it out for herself.
0: And also, I don't know that it does anyone any good to... I don't know a better phrase for it, but like to toxic positivity it, right? Mm, Um, Mm -hmm. And a line that I wrote is like, how do you support someone while also having a history of them letting you down? And Mm. I think that that's kind of the question here. And to be fair, I think she's gonna do it well. And Ali does it really well, which is like, okay, great. Like this is the time. And also I am nervous. I'm nervous because I know that we've been here before and it hasn't turned out well. And I'm hopeful. Like, I hope this is the time. And I think that what's really powerful about that is being able to hold what feel like opposing feelings and realizing that they're not, and not trying to feel as though you have to pick one or the other. I either have to be angry or hopeful. I either have to be afraid or brave. And it's like, actually, all of those things are true in this moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes, you know, and and even Ali like makes that sort of specific effort to connect with Rue's sister, right? Mm -hmm. Actually asks her like, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And in a way that's like, not just like, oh, you're just supposed to say you're okay, so I can go check on Rue again. But like, Mm -hmm. no, really, how are you? Yeah. He, you know, gives a similar advice to, to Rue's mom of like, mm-hmm. you know, she's been, I think he says something to the fact of like, she's been waiting for love. Like she's yeah, been waiting for, unlove. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, and so often when there is a child in a family that needs more support, whether it's a chronic medical condition or addiction or behavioral issues or developmental needs, Oftentimes the other child, if they don't have any of those needs, naturally kind of gets put to the side. And not out of any pro- like concern of the parent or problem of the parent, but it's just kind of simply how things happen, right? Like if if a child needs to go to the doctor every single day, well, they're going to be spending more time.
1: Well, yeah. So, So I think, well, yeah. So we're acknowledging that. You know, when a member of a family is struggling with addiction, it is impossible for the entire family to not be affected by that. Yeah. You know, I've, as someone who I've worked in the addiction field, you know, and one of the most hopeful things that you would experience in working, especially in an inpatient is doing family therapy, doing family nights when the family could come in and visit uh, their loved one who was in treatment because that's where you would see like, oh, okay, is the work that this person is, is the individual work that this person is doing, is it going to translate on the outside? Mm-hmm. Is is there appreciable differences that are going to happen in the relationships or is it just going to be like, yeah, I'm just getting clean and then everything on the outside kind of stays the same?
0: At one point, Gia says to like her we've been we've done this before we've been here before which yep. it's
1: mm-hmm.
2: easier
0: to the first time through it be like okay cool so things are going to change great as opposed to like no things never change this the same cycle keeps happening so it makes it harder to believe yeah. that these external things are going to change
1: yeah and that's why it's like as as a model for treatment like if every sponsor was as Excuse me. If every sponsor was as good as as what Ali does for this family, I think that's a really powerful sort of like framework for what addiction treatment probably needs to look like. Yeah. Which is in the environment that the person is in helping the family just as much as the individual and, you know, helping the individual by helping their environment. Because without all of those things, you know, sure, the individual is capable and working on like, oh, like where the history of my addiction, when that when these habits start and you know, what 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 more healthier coping skills do I need to develop? But if they're going back to the same same, you know, and the you know, the sort of addiction cliche, like people, places and things, if all Uh of those aspects of their life have not changed, it just becomes exponentially more difficult. And we can tell just through context clues of Rue's life that Uh that that is a problem for her. She's Uh friends with drug dealers. She's friends with people who, you know, do all these different things. And if that stuff's not going to change, you know, it's she can only do so much through having a great sponsor like Ali
0: and i think that that speaks to any circumstance right so if mm-hmm. if a child has behavioral issues and they get sent to an inpatient unit for 2 weeks and they go back to the an environment that's exactly the same those behavioral issues aren't just going to like disappear yeah. and it really is changing environments changing contexts uh, particularly when Well, actually, no, I was going to say when teenagers and children are involved, but at any age, it's about changing context and finding out like, how can I most, in a more valued way, support my behavioral changes by creating a context where it's easier to make more valued choices.
1: Totally. And, you know, I I wonder, you know, because, you know, I look at Rue and her family and I think... God, this is a family that really benefit from family therapy, not just because they've been through, obviously, the grief with the loss of of the dad, but obviously through Rue's addiction as well, that there's so much opportunity for them to work on things like communication and boundary setting and all these different things. But especially for Rue, you know, she ends up getting some of her needs met. You know, her sister, you know, crawls into bed with her. She's got all these sort of comforts of home Mm -hmm. and supports of home, even though the episode kind of ends on this still scary note of, you know, is mom going to be able to get her into rehab? Mm -hmm. And we can talk about that from a a structural perspective as well. Yeah. But it's like, you can, you can feel like there are bones of a really strong family here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's
1: why I think why this, this show in some ways is, is, like a tragedy as much as it is a drama. It's just like, and and that's often what working addiction is like. It's just like, man, the, it doesn't take that much to get from where Rue and her family are to, you know, something uh, very functioning and very, you know, effectively supportive and communicating. Um, yeah. So it's, it's hard to watch. Yeah.
0: Well, and one thing that you kind of brought up to me before we started, which was, that a core theme throughout this episode is relationships with mothers and speaking to your idea of like, there's not that much between where Rue is now and a really healthy, valued living experience is largely true due to the fact that she's the only one that we see who has a mother who is validating and supportive and, kind of actively engaged in the child's experience yeah oh my gosh yeah
1: yeah absolutely as
0: opposed to like nate's mom isn't actively engaged she's like superficially engaged for her own entertainment almost and then lexi and cassie's mom is like Mm -hmm. supportive in that she like hides the sharps but like
1: she's there right sure but
0: she's not validating and engaged at all and is essentially just like leave me alone and let me watch tv and stop trying to kill yourself which yeah is not what we want obviously from a parent and nope (laughs) um, and that's why i think as i watched this episode like nate and cassie were very hard to relate to in a in a likability way, in that you're just like, they are a lot. Um yes. And duh, right? Like their moms are a lot too. <laughs> Whereas like yes. Rue at no point seems like a lot. She just seems like she has a lot going on. Um and mm-hmm. she has a super loving Mother, And it also just shows you the power of addiction, right? Like it does not matter.
1: Absolutely. That's right.
0: How loving you are. Like if your child finds themselves in a situation where drugs become a part of their life, you can't love someone out of addiction. You can support them through oh, yeah. it, but you can't love someone mm-hmm. out of it. Yeah
1: yeah and and if anything your actions can have the opposite effect as you were talking about with nate and his mom so they that family is coping with the sort of recent revelation that nate's father Mm -hmm. was cheating on his mother and having what we can assume is various affairs over the course of their marriage. But the one specifically one that comes out is the, the interaction uh, with Jules Mm -hmm. um, that um, was revealed, I believe in the episode before um, this one. So we see this sort of family in sort of crisis of, Oh my gosh, he's, you know, he's, he's left the house. um, And now, Nate and his brother and their mom are just sort of what feels like in shock and just sort of, and we can see them like literally drinking together as they kind of, you know, wrestle with their new reality. And I think seeing how Nate's mom is handling it is sort of a good example of what you're talking about of like, yeah, there's a way to model some really unhealthy coping skills as well.
0: Yeah. Well, and also, at no point is she validating
1: well no far from it she she yeah. actually she actually sort of uh you know she sort of says like like how did you get to be this way with the all the all the worst characteristics of your father but none of the good ones like what a terrible thing to say to your child well
0: and then also she's like well and like it's not surprising to me that you choked her or whatever
1: she yeah. said that moment and he's like
0: I didn't. And she's like, okay, yeah, yeah, you didn't. And he's like, no, I didn't. And it's not clear to us, having only seen this episode, whether that did or did not happen. But the, like, sincerity with which he says to his mom, like, I need you to believe me in this moment. And she blows him off is not, like, I think if... If Rue's mom ever was like, I don't believe you, it would come from a place of, it's important that I hold you accountable. It wouldn't come from this like, yeah, okay. Mm. But uh, what's his name? Nate. Nate's mom, it comes from a place of like, yeah, okay. And that's so invalidating and so undermining for him. And what's also I found really interesting was in that when she was talking about like how bad he is she was like as a child you used to take care of me and love me again it's all about oh, me, yeah. me. but bring she me gives water a, she yeah. Gi- yeah yeah she gives an example of bringing her water earlier in that scene he had poured her a glass of wine he had opened a yep. bottle of wine and poured her a glass of wine which i don't know if that was intentional but if it was it was like really artistically done which is even mm-hmm. today when they clearly don't totally vibe in a healthy way. Um, he is still kind of taking care of her a little bit, just in a grown up, more jaded way.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and it's clear that he, he does care about her and he does care about her opinion of him. That's why it's so hurtful for him to mm-hmm. hear her say like, um, that he's like this angry guy. And for him, he's trying to defend himself like, kind of saying that his anger is like contextually specific. It's just like, Mm -hmm. Oh, well, if dad wasn't like this or wasn't doing these things, I wouldn't be angry at him. Like it's just Mm -hmm. him. And Mm -hmm. she's saying, no, no, you, you are angry. And, Mm -hmm. and it almost, it's hard to tell if it's just sort of projecting, you know, her relationship with her husband onto her son or, you know, sort of specific interactions and sort of broadening them out. As, as we said, with the, the choking incident recall, Mm -hmm. But man, it's always tough when you see, you know, I think you and I, you and I both worked with teens. It's always tough when you see a parent who is part of the problem as opposed to part of the solution.
0: Yeah. Well, and also with this episode being like the only snapshot, if we did not have the scene where he goes over to Maddie's place. uh, Mm -hmm. Yep. It could be believable that his anger is largely dad focused and kind of limited to that general context. However, the way that he interacts with Maddie makes it very clear. Like this boy has lots of anger in lots of places that he does not know how to manage in a healthy way
1: yeah, no, by no means am I letting Nate off the hook. But
2: no, yeah, <laughs>
1: I think it's interesting in um in that dynamic with his mom, where he so, I think to your point, like, just wants to be probably comforted and validated. Like, you know, I just went through this thing with my dad and now I want things to be okay. But instead of things being okay, it's I'm hearing like I'm an angry person and the relationship of choices that I've made have been, you know, uh, not to your liking and and all these different things. So now it's like, oh, this is the person that you see me as. And then he kind of continues to live into it. And I'm sure the alcohol use is not not helping that trend either.
0: I have a question for you. I just had an insight. Please. Do you think at yeah. the end of the, I almost said session <laughs> at the end of the episode, he brings home Cassie because his mom said earlier that she prefers her a hundred percent. Oh, okay.
1: Because, you know, up until that point, we see him like ignoring Cassie's phone calls repeatedly. Right. Right. Um, she's calling him all day or all morning or whatever. And then, you know, he kind of has this arc over the course of the episode where he has this tension with mom. And then he, you know, explodes in, uh, anger towards Maddie. And then we find out that the reason that he's doing this, and again, I'm not letting him off the hook. That was a, a heinous, 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 heinous assault, heinous. um, he was doing that in an attempt to get the evidence of his father's affair with Jules to get it back to Jules, which he does. um, And then concludes that arc by sort of getting back with Cassie, bringing Cassie back to his house. Yes. For his mom to see. So yeah, I a hundred percent think that that was intentional on Nate's part. Um, You know, kind of looking at that arc of his over the course of the episode. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, and then also what makes that, whole set of scenes or interactions more interesting is that Cassie, when she leaves her house, makes eye contact with her mom and it's this like sad loss kind of interaction. And then she, as she's walking up to Nate's room, she makes makes eye contact with Nate's mom and it's this welcoming, warm
1: little half smile wave. Yeah. 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 Which
0: I think we as watcher or like viewers are like, yeah, okay. Um,
1: like <laughs> yes, we, We've yes. seen what his mom is
0: really like. <laughs> right. However, There's not that much
1: better going on here, Cassie. <laughs> yeah, it's
0: just, you know, different versions of the same thing. And it's just yep. interesting that like in Cassie's mind, that's how it feels, right? It feels like screw you, mom, you don't give me what I need. I'm going to go to people who say that they love me. Um, because he says on the phone call, I love you. Right. And we know that's not true, right? but, but she just wants to hear it. She doesn't want to be undermined by her mom.
1: Yeah. And that's like another classic, I don't know, trope, I guess, but it, but it's also sort of something that, that I've run into in, in working with teenagers is, you know, I'm in a relationship that people either don't approve of or don't understand. Um, and, you know, the drama or the ups and downs of that relationship are really important to me or are really affecting me. And all the people around me are, you know, look at me like I'm crazy or, you know, feel like I shouldn't be with this person or mm-hmm. all these things. And, and I think we as the viewers are also sort of meant to see Cassie as like, oh, my God, like she is a lot or she is uh, uh, putting her she's over invested in, in Nate, who we all see as this not good person but I think that's sort of putting us in her mom's shoes
0: (laughs) yeah I think we're supposed to see her the way that her sister verbalizes
1: yes and her her. mom see her yeah yeah.
0: well because like her sister says to her like why do you like him he's always been mean to you and
1: she's your best
0: friend and like suddenly you're super into him what's going on and I think that's how we're supposed to feel too of like wait a minute why now That being said, we haven't seen episodes before this, so we don't know Mm -hmm. what built up to this. Sure. And it's also very clear that Cassie needs a lot of attention in a... She needs a lot of meaningful attention and she doesn't get it. And so she's literally screaming for it
2: Mm -hmm. because
0: of that and her mom's kind of lack of skills. She doesn't get them right it's this like horrible cycle of needing it yeah. screaming for it not getting it because she's screaming for it and then needing it and then it starts all over again well
1: right I mean she's, she's essentially making like a you know a, a pseudo suicidal or self-harm gesture with the the wine cork on the kitchen floor right and her mom mm-hmm. just takes that out of her hand is sort of like, like kind of like cut it out and mm-hmm. I mean you know you know, that's one way for a parent to handle that is just to sort of like, almost like pay it no mind. Mm-hmm. Um, But man, I, I feel like um for you or I watching that is is a very different experience. Well,
0: and it's also very clear that mom is super burnt out by her suicidal yes, 100%. Yes. Um, attempts or um, acts, self injurious mm-hmm. acts. Yep. And so, Mom probably does feel like it's just a Tuesday.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it just sort of brings up to mind, for me, that sort of like, oh, a family disapproving of a relationship. So for you and and for me as therapists, um, you know, whether you're getting it from a mom or dad who's referring a, a, an adolescent or a teenager or young adult mm-hmm. into therapy saying like, oh, well, you know, their boyfriend is terrible or their girlfriend is this is that, or that. How do you handle that in, let's say, a session, like if you had a person like Cassie Mm -hmm. and they're like, you know, well, I love my boyfriend, Um, you know, my mom or my sister hates him because of blah, 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 blah. Um, How do you handle that as a therapist, as someone who's maybe sort of caught in between what's the right thing for this person?
0: I would ask them, what about the relationship is meaningful for them? Or like, what about the person Mm -hmm. is meaningful for them? And would obviously go the valued direction. And I never assume that my values are someone else's values. And Mm -hmm. I likely would ask a lot of the same questions that her her sister asks, but in a way less or in a a judgment-free zone rather than a judgmental zone. And kind of be like, it's curious to me that you – suddenly like this guy who's always been so mean to you, like what, what changed and how do you yeah. know that he likes you? And how do you know that you like him? And why do you think your mom is worried about it? And things like that. And, and then if they say like, oh, she's worried that X, Y, and Z, I'll be like, do you think it's reasonable that she's worried about those things? Why do you think she thinks those are real things? Um, So I just kind of get curious about like, what what's going on like why is it happening the way that mm-hmm. it's happening and i'm usually pretty direct of like it really doesn't matter what i think like you see me one right. hour a week and the yeah. rest of your life is your own so what matters is what you think so let's figure out within the context of all these people around you are telling you this is unhealthy what do you know that they don't know and what do they think they know that you know differently. Um and I would kind of explore it that way.
1: Yeah, because I think, you know, a lot of times I'll get um, you know, working with adolescents that they're looking for someone to agree with them that the relationship is okay or or good or like someone to basically take their side. And I do think it's a tough thing to to navigate as a therapist, but I think what you said is great, which is basically Um, just to be curious and to be open and not, but it's not really our position to take anyone's side, but just to kind of help you as the patient, as the teenager, um, see your own values within the relationship as serving you in a healthy way.
0: And if Romeo and Juliet illustrated anything, it's that (laughs) no teenager has ever changed their mind about somebody because their parents told them to.
1: That's or because right. an adult right. told them Or a to. therapist.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Like no no teenager has ever changed their mind because an adult said they should. They may come right. to change their mind because they experience new information that maybe an adult got them to. But no child has ever changed their mind because they were told to.
1: Yeah. And I think it's with that that openness and curiosity and... Um, like I said before that sort of unconditional uh, let's just say neutral regard right even it's just non-judgmental stance mm-hmm. of like hey like it's not for me to say that what you're doing is is good or bad it's you know I'm here to help you uh, whether it you know depending on your therapeutic approach like accomplish your goals or mm-hmm. or be less depressed or be happy um, you know and that's why I think you know I'm more hopeful, Hopefully, you know, you know, to the extent that this show will let you be hopeful about mm-hmm. Rue having the support that she has, um, you know, between her sponsor and her mom um, and, and even her sister um, than I am for some of these other characters who, yes, they have support, but it's support in ways that are, let's say, not serving those values in the same way.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think the show yeah. definitely sets it up that rue has the most opportunity for growth within her context mm-hmm. yep. Nate they kind of suggest that he has good moments I it was very confusing I was like I don't know how I feel about someone who can go and Russian roulette between himself and his ex-girlfriend and then right. just like yes seemingly, again, I only saw this episode, like, seemingly, spontaneously be kind to Jules. Like, who knows, right? We don't actually know the trauma that he's going through, but um, it seems like the show wants us to suggest that, like, there's hope for him. Um, It feels like they never give that at all for Cassie. It feels like they kind of are just like, nope, she's a lost cause, and she's just gonna... Mm do whatever gets her the attention she's looking for. Yeah. And then it's also interesting for her sister to seemingly be really well adjusted, at least in this episode, in comparison Mm -hmm. to Cassie and Cassie's mother, especially with lack of a father figure. It makes you wonder like what happened in Lexi's psyche that allowed her kind of this like meaningful development and growth that Cassie didn't get.
1: Yeah. When you think about it, not a lot of good dads in this show in general, at least from a little window, a little window that we are getting into it.
0: Yeah. Dads are suggested. You know, you don't know. There's not a single like yeah, active yeah. dad in this episode.
1: That's right. <laughs> you know, and, and obviously there's, there's something to be said for, for that, the structure and, and things like that, that, um, you know, that those relationships bring, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, and I think we'd be kind of remiss, uh, Haley here to not at least spend a little bit of time trying to, from our brief perspective, understand why this show is so popular.
0: Oh man, this is where people are going to jump from team Haley to team Ryan. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> they, they might. Yeah. So if All you right, are I a fan of euphoria, <laughs> <laughs> well, Haley, you said, you know, you, you tried to pull some people and to get some indication or some understanding of why, why this show, why is this popular? Why are people into it? What is, what makes this sort of so captivating? Yeah. Because you were not having that experience. With
0: no. 100% sincerity and, and genuine curiosity, I asked people that I know to please tell me what on earth people find entertaining about this. <laughs> like there, I I try, I initially was like, you know what? I'll watch the whole series so that I can speak fully about season two, episode six. I got a couple minutes into episode one, season one, and I was just like, nope.
2: <laughs> and then
0: watched all of this episode. And the entire time I was like, I cannot believe I am watching this without somebody paying me an awful lot of money to watch it. <laughs> um, mm,
1: wow. Okay. I strong words.
0: There was not a single moment that I enjoyed. Like, yeah. So it, it, I truly, and was were you expecting as- to enjoy it? I was expecting like, what to was be you How open
1: were you going in into it? You're expected to be entertained right so
0: when I started season one episode one I was fully expecting to be entertained because it's so popular sure. like I yeah 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 I am a firm believer that like even if I don't like something if it's popular there's a reason why it's popular and so for example I don't love reality TV te- as a matter of fact I don't like reality TV but I understand why why people find it entertaining. So if I were to watch an episode of it, I'd be like, okay, cool, I get it. Mm -hmm. I kind of went into euphoria being like, awesome. Like, I'm guessing this will be a new show on my list. And very quickly was like, no, this is not gonna be a new show (laughs) on my list. So then when I went to go watch this episode, that very much was already how I was primed to view it. And then it starts with, you know, Zendaya really struggling with withdrawal. And then it just kind of gets worse and worse. And I truly was like, I do not find the characters engaging. I don't find the storyline engaging. So, yeah, so that's my take. But let's try to explore why other people like it and. I'm no closer. I'm I'm very slightly closer to sort of understanding why people stay invested in it. I'm still completely mm, okay. lost in how people get invested in it.
1: Okay. So I'm going to give you another show analogy. Okay. And this was sort of an obscure one. Did you watch Chernobyl on HBO when it came out? This was no. like a year or two ago.
0: No. And somebody okay. else also compared it to Breaking Bad. And I also did not see that.
1: Okay, so these yeah, so these are all all sort of in the interesting genre of like I don't even know exactly how to describe it, but it's like um and and somebody I I was reading about Euphoria and somebody did describe it as like a fantasy drama. In other words, mm-hmm. like yes, it is loosely experienced on like the teenage lifestyle as it exists today, mm-hmm. but it is blown out to such a proportion at which point it like no really no longer hopefully no longer resembles reality Mm -hmm. but in that way it's like just familiar enough that people are like oh man like i knew a rue or i knew a you know a cassie and it's like things that are familiar enough but blown out in different proportions that it's like oh man there is a certain investment that happens and, and I think this is to the point that people are telling you in like in the characters or mm-hmm. in the, the acting performances. Yeah. Um, and for me personally, it's like, I hate to say the, the sort of like car wreck cliche, but it is a little bit of that where it's like, you know, you set up the sort of initial story of these, of these characters. And even you mentioned episode one where we learn like a little bit of um, Rue's backstory, right. Mm-hmm. Where, um,
0: Do we? Because I didn't you know, get through uh, it. Just kidding. I did. I did notice that.
1: Well, <laughs> well no, enough, enough to yes. know, I think you even mentioned it to me, yeah. like she's diagnosed with all these things at you yeah. know age six and and mm-hmm. all of these, um, you know, she gets you know put on medication at a very young age and all this mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. And um, as a result, she's sort of already, um, you know, put in a position where she's kind of having to deal with things far beyond her years let's say and I think that kind of plays out to the point that we get to see more of her in season two
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I think the one of the things that people said really keeps them invested is they like the character arcs yeah and I guess I understand that, except at the same time, it feels like the general narrative is that most of these characters are unlikable. So it's interesting (laughs) to me that people, you know, you use the car crash example, and I guess that kind of makes sense. I'm also somebody who does not look at a car crash. (laughs) Like, I'm just like, Mm, I'm not interested. Like, I... Do not want to see what could potentially have happened if it seems like there is injury to a person. If it's just like two cars have like hit each other, I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, like I'm here for that drama. But that feels like yeah, yeah. OC level drama, right? But like, sure, euphoria feels like bloody mangled bodies in a car crash type drama, and like I have no
1: interest in. Yeah, seeing that's that. so interesting. Yeah, so I think I think and this is and people watch these shows for different reasons, obviously. Mm-hmm. But even like the metaphor of the car crash, like, yes, I'm a person that looks at the car crash, but it's like for me, it's like, oh God, I hope they're okay. And I think I watch this show through the same lens of God, I just want these kids to be okay. Are they gonna be okay? You know, because I think the episode that comes after this is um Lexi's play. And like, I'm gonna watch that episode because that is a familiar high school thing. And it's like, God, I hope these kids get like a normal high school thing amidst all the ridiculous drama they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's sort of my entertainment angle, if there is one, is like, mm-hmm. oh, I just want these kids to be okay. They're, they're dealing with like, like very, in many ways, like very unrealistic stressors, but yeah. let's say we're just sort of living in this reality. Like, God, I just want them to be okay. I want most of them to be okay. Some of them I'm not as invested in, but yeah.
0: <laughs> so this is really interesting because you and I spoke before and I had mentioned like a, a documentary series that talks about like the struggle Mm -hmm. of childhood. And I said like, I 100% watched that and did not enjoy it. However, it felt meaningful and entertaining to me. Mm. And in the same way that you're kind of speaking to now, which is like, I feel for those children. There's something about this being a fictional series that the, and when I say sucks, I don't mean quality. I mean like content like it sucks so Mm -hmm. much that it's shocking to me that people want to watch it Hmm. because for instance like what you described of like I just really want these kids to do okay i feel that for every single one of my teenagers that i work with like my Mm. patients granted i feel that for my patients but but particularly the teenagers that i work for i really feel that Mm -hmm. and there's times where i'm like i just want you to go to a play and enjoy it like literally that's all i want for you
2: Mm yeah and i think
0: like maybe that plays a role in why i don't want to watch this show is maybe because it's like I don't have time to worry about your fictional things maybe turning out okay. Sure. Like, I'm I'm doing that for my job. So, like, maybe that has something to do with it is that, like, I don't have the emotional capacity to worry myself with a fictional character's struggles at Mm. this level of despair, right? Because if it's, like... You said, I think before we started recording, like the worst episode or like the season or series finale episodes of The O.C. are every single episode, multiple times an episode on Euphoria. (laughs) And that like intensity for me is so much and it's shocking for me. And I don't mean shocking Mm. in a judgmental way. I mean it. No, uh, no direct and just the word that it is. It's shocking to me that that's yep. entertaining for people
2: yeah.
0: because yep. people have said to me like, oh yeah, we don't watch this before bed. It makes it hard for us to sleep. I'm like, why are you watching it at all?
2: <laughs> like,
0: um, because yeah. I'm guessing it doesn't release this, like, like for instance, horror movies also don't watch those before you go to sleep, but it makes sense to me why people watch those because it releases... Adrenaline and all sorts of like kind of like fun chemicals in our bodies that, like, I don't think this releases at all. I mean, maybe it does.
1: <laughs> no, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, hard, hard for me to say. I, I will have to, we'll have to uh, request a study on what chemicals are being yeah, released yeah, yeah, while yeah. people watch this. <laughs> but uh, it's so interesting because we talked about the sort of para- historical parallels. And I mean, and this is going to be very like highfalutin literary of me, but like I feel like Romeo and Juliet probably got a very similar reaction when it came out, you know, hundreds of years ago. Like, oh my gosh, scandalous. And, you know, kids aren't really like this. And violence and, um, you know, the language and the sexuality and all these things. Um, and I think. This is just that to the nth degree. Like, we are definitely headed in a direction where every episode has to be as dramatic, as intense, as crazy as possible to hold people's attention. Yeah.
0: um, Well, every scene.
1: That every scene, right? Where we could have had a light episode where kids go to a concert, uh, you know, in OC, in the OC, or, um, you know, uh, Dawson and and whoever just sort of stare longingly at each other on the on the side <laughs> of a creek. Yeah. Um, you know, this has to be overdose or withdrawal or assault or um, you know really intense things happening multiple times an episode. Yeah. And I think that speaks a little bit to where we are at as a culture and sort of like what we need to maintain our level of engagement with something that's supposed mm-hmm. to be entertaining because you said reality TV. And for me, I, I can't stand reality TV yeah, Same <laughs> um, for some of these same reasons, because it feels like, I mean, this is, first of all, it, it feels, and and many times often is just fake. Like if we're going to write yeah, stuff, like at produced. least let's just write it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and uh but if we're doing if we're doing fiction, um, you know, I can kind of open my I my, my can open my mind a little bit with it if it doesn't feel like it's, um, I don't know, like too close to home. I don't know. It's and this is this is close. Um, I don't know if I would have watched this if, it, if we weren't talking about it on the show but it was something i sort of had bookmarked like oh i wonder i wonder what zendaya is up to
0: yeah i and one thing that somebody told me which is why they became invested in it is because they like zendaya and they're like i was just going to watch it no matter what because i love her and they were like and then yeah. after time like it became i became more invested in the storylines which that i completely yep. understand but like, even for me, like I love Zendaya and I love Jacob Alordi. And that was not enough for me to love this Jacob Alordi heavy episode.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: and so I was truly asking people like, what got you invested? And except for Zendaya, like nobody could really tell me. What kept them invested, or, or like, or like what got them invested? Most people would say like what has kept them invested, and a lot of the examples I got were a lot of character development and acting and production value and stuff like that. And I love those answers, except like I don't believe that that many people are into the art. Of filmmaking to the extent that, like, that's gonna be what keeps them in something that's hard to watch. But again, it's like truly fascinating to me that so many people love watching it and are super invested in it and entertained by it, while also complaining at a really high rate about all of the characters and the number of times people have said to me like, oh yeah, the first season completely sucks. Second season's great. I'm like, how did you get through the first season to the second yeah. season?
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: I also am at the point where I've just decided I'm not going to get it. So please do not feel the need to DM us and tell us why <laughs> it's entertaining. But yeah, it's just, it's fascinating to me that it's, everybody talks about how draining and hard it is to watch and yet they keep watching it.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's okay. interesting. Um, cause I think for me, you know, if, if you join something that is a cultural discussion and that does feel like that is part of what's happening now mm-hmm. between Zendaya's popularity and, you know, the sort of, semi-consistent like hbo having a show of the moment phenomenon
0: and it's all people talk about on twitter
1: all right, exactly and i think you know meme culture you know TikTok. uh tiktok twitter whatever yeah. i think if you're invested enough and you talk to people who are invested enough it becomes something that actually deciding not to stay up with is probably more threatening than just finishing it
0: threatening in what way
1: threatening in the sense of like well if you know if i don't know what happened this week Hmm, like like fomo i don't know what i'm not gonna yeah well a little bit yeah Yeah. because it's like you know and i think and i got me we can we can do some super deep uh you know societal (laughs) analysis because um we've all been stuck inside for the past two years now none of this crazy stuff has been happening to most of us. Mm-hmm. So like the idea of like the logical extreme of like high school, uh, like antics being something that's um, sort of escapist in a way of like, well, God, uh, you know, maybe living in the house, st- being stuck in the house isn't so bad. At least I'm not, you know, Fezco, Oh, I guess he's not. He's one of the more redeemable characters. At least I'm not. I was going to
0: say the the only scene that was like a relief, but it wasn't enough of a relief to make it feel relieving was when he and Lexi were watching stand by me.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was was nice. And like, and like having a little emotional moment. (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah,
0: absolutely. It was very sweet. One thing that I do want to say is I also very clearly see how if you are a Person who has struggled with addiction, how seen you will feel by a show like this, because Mm -hmm. it doesn't treat addiction like a like a pariah. It it Mm -hmm. treats it like something that people experience. And I think and again, I only watched this episode, so this may not be the case across the board, but I felt like Rue was her like withdrawal was kind of like secondary to like her relationship with her mom and her sister,
2: (laughs) which I think
0: doesn't often happen when, when people with addiction are represented on camera. Like for example, our, our autumn series, Brooke Taylor kind of got overrun by the fact that she was an alcoholic, right? Like her character mm-hmm. was kind of like yep. alcoholic first, therapist second. Even though the whole show was technically about her being a therapist, right? In this episode, it was like Rue first. Rue also happens to have an addiction, mm-hmm. which I think is is a wonderful thing for people who absolutely want to be seen in media. So if that's how you relate to it, that makes perfect sense to me. For the average Joe on the street, it's so fascinating to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, uh, right. So uh, me, you know, I watch it sometimes with the feeling of like, man, was anything like this going on in my high school? Because I feel like my high school was very boring in comparison. Mm. You know, and and there's, there's something... I don't know. Escapist is not the right word, but there's something like feeling like you're watching what the cool kids were up to. Um, Mm -hmm. That's sort of interesting, you know, speaking as a uh, introvert who was nowhere near any of these parties or dramatic interactions Mm -hmm. um, in high school. Um, There is something about that sort of like fantasy wondering of like, Man, no, 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 That no, kids can't, no, this can't be, this is just, no, this is not happening. So I think something about that is yeah. sort of, is a piece of this as well.
0: And I don't think it's happening to the extent that TV shows make it seem like it is. Like...
1: Well, I hope not. Well, Well, especially <laughs> but,
0: like, like this TV show makes it seem like it's happening to everybody all at once within one school. But even right. like studies have shown that like, If you ask teenagers what percentage of your classmates are having sex and then ask Mm. how many are having sex, the number of how many you think are having sex way outranks how many people actually are. (laughs) Right.
1: This is a great point to end on. TV
0: shows like super make it seem like every single cool teenager is. And it's simply just not the case.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yeah, the, actually, the, the, the amount of, of sex that's being had and the amount of drugs that are being had is way less than is thought of. As yeah. be, and, and, and specifically going down in generations, like this generation by far does those things um, way less, much less. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and also, like, generations, yeah. it's
0: pretty hard for most teenagers to find drugs. Like in your, as you get mm. older, as you close to get to like 18, 19, 20, and then into your 20s, it does get easier. So then, if you have older siblings or live in neighborhoods where it's more accessible for the adults, it becomes more accessible for the teenagers. But as a general statement, like if you asked a teenager where they needed to go to get drugs, they wouldn't know. <laughs>
1: Mm. Yeah. That. That. I mean, having watched the first episode of season one, um, Ashtray, the uh, Fuzco's little uh, drug dealing buddy, did feel like the most unrealistic thing. Like just in the back room of the convenience store, just
0: <laughs> how old is he supposed out, to be? I know. Out, <laughs> I was like, what a what a child. Oh, God.
1: Yeah. I think it's like twelve or something oh, funny. crazy. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, we can sit here and hope that and, and, and with a certain degree of certainty, uh, a certain amount of certainty, um, know that this is not realistic. But let's talk about how not realistic it is, Haley. So mm-hmm. let's say on a scale of um, one to five nostalgic viewings of Stand By Me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: how realistic...
0: So I have not seen Stand By Me, but I think I still get it. (laughs) Okay. Nostalgic reviewings of Stand By Me. Again, okay, I I know I've said it a hundred times. I need to make it very clear. I only watched this episode, so I think I'm going to give it a two out of five. The withdrawal support attempts to get... Uh, rehab placement the whole rue timeline feels so beautifully portrayed for a healthy family. I think the mother relationships in the other families are portrayals of portrayals of like kind of struggling mother relationships. Mm-hmm. Everything else felt like this weird, concentrated and then blown up version of whatever drama they were trying to portray. So like Cassie felt like they like zoomed in on one pixel about her whole picture and then made that the whole picture. Nate w- felt like they threw spaghetti at the wall and was like whatever sticks is what <laughs> his storyline's going to be.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Maddie actually felt kind of normal. Except I don't know if we saw her after she had an interaction with Nate. I don't think we did, but I would be interested. Just like see...
1: waking up the next morning, sort of in trauma shock. Okay. What well, happened then that, to her. then that's pretty yeah. accurate, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah.
0: But yeah, like I think the other people that we saw, we didn't get enough information about them. Like Jules, I don't think we got mm-hmm. enough information about. Um,
2: nope.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give it a two. Like it just felt like they really were like we're gonna really concentrate every mental health experience into like one day on this one episode of the show, which makes me think they do that every episode, which makes me think Mm. like it's so much. (laughs) (laughs) But that being said, like Rue had a lot going on this episode as well and was done in a really realistic way. And kind of like I spoke about earlier in terms of, um, Representing somebody as more than an addiction, um, I think was beautiful mm-hmm. for the true human experience of that. Um, so gets a fairly low rating for me <laughs> in terms of okay. uh uh mental health portrayal. Would you agree or would you disagree?
1: Um yeah, it's interesting. So I I, I definitely agree that the portrayals of addiction feel really well done. Mm-hmm. And accuracy, especially in the terms of like the impact on a family, yeah, the withdrawal portrayal feels particularly accurate, like they did not shy away from, you know, the fevers and the shakes and Mm -hmm. the sort of paralysis, but also, in many cases, like the just gradual recovery to like, okay, now I guess I'm sort of okay, Mm -hmm. not happy, not comfortable, but able to be up and walk around and like, yeah, that's that's sort of what going through detox looks like. Yeah. Um, so to that, I do give them credit for that. I think that's important for people to kind of see the the stark reality of that experience. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So then on a scale from one to five Jolly Ranchers,
1: mm.
0: how, entertaining. Love a Jolly Rancher. <laughs> how entertaining did you think this was?
1: Um, I'm going to use the, the categorization that you gave me in my answer. I'm going to give it a sour apple
0: so a
1: five w- <laughs> no i love no, the sour no, apple come on <laughs> sour apple is good uh, but it's not a five <laughs> it's so
0: funny i think it's um, the blue ones are the best and then the green ones are the second
1: no best. Oh, all right <laughs> we'll have a whole other episode about jolly Rancher reviews um, okay so here's my thing i think there was a reason i did not uh, like seek this out to start watching it mm-hmm. when I knew when I first heard about it and that's because it's hard to watch yeah that being said um, as soon as I started any episode of Euphoria that I watched to this point I did not at any point not want to finish the episode or stop Gosh. watching the episode out of like boredom or anger or frustration or annoyance like as soon as I started I was in and I wanted to to know what happened so i don't know exactly what that means for my rating scale but that's why sour apple feels feels apt because it's like yeah if, if, if sour apple's like the only one left um i'm gonna eat it and i will finish it okay. um and the experience along the way is gonna be uh, mixed <laughs> so i don't know that's like a high twos i think let's say like a two eight
0: yeah I will share with everybody that coming into this I gave it a negative three. Uh, mm-hmm. now I'll be like sure it can have a one I guess <laughs> but it's very
1: generous of you Thank
0: you um <laughs> and I like recognize that like a lot of people love this and I am not yucking anybody's yum. I just truly don't understand like I it's truly one of those situations where I'm like, I get the words that you're saying, but they mean nothing to me. (laughs) Okay. So I'm glad that people love it, and I'm glad that they get to watch it every week, but it's not for me.
1: And it's not going to be for everyone, and yeah. I think that that can be okay. Hopefully, the people that like it get some some useful entertainment from it, and we will continue to look for shows that we are more entertained by.
0: <laughs> well, I also think it's good for us to review shows that we don't really like, because then otherwise it's just totally. this like yes. flowers yes. and sunshine reviews from us. <laughs> that being I said, know. I'm going to go we, watch Bluey. <laughs>
1: There you go. Well, yeah, and I'm looking forward to the next time we cover something Disney related as <laughs> yeah. well. Yes. Yeah, so so yes, yeah, so thank you for those of you who who did suggest for us to watch this cuz yeah. I might get sucked in, who knows, but even if Haley doesn't, I think it's uh it's fun for us to 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 touch on the sort of shows at the yeah. moment. So so we're happy to be able to do that and thank you for all the suggestions and we look forward to continue to get more of them.
0: Thanks for listening.
1: Bye.
0: Bye. Yeah <music>